Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 20. If you have a house Bible, it's on page 460. Okay, and I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. It might be slightly different than the ESV. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that, on that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The sorrows for the appointed feast I will remove from you. They're a burden and a reproach to you. At that time I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame and gather those who have been scattered. I'll give them praise and honor in every land where they were put to shame. At that time I will gather you. At that time I will bring you home. I'll give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, here we are on week three of Advent, and if you're new to this Advent as a tradition before Christmas, uh, I want to give you a little bit of explanation for it. So you see these candles that are lit in front of me, and each week we've been lighting a new one of these candles. And so there has been a time in history where the church has awaited the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just the coming the first time, but the coming the second time. That Jesus Christ, who came as a babe in the manger and took that road to become the king on the cross, also is the king who's coming to right all the wrongs and make all the bad things untrue. That's a time of remembrance for the church. And so today what we do in, with the church historically in the church today is we remember that Christ has came. That God came down and dwelt among us, but we also remember that he's coming again. That he will redeem that which he has called his own. And so each Sunday, the four Sundays before Christmas, we light one of these candles. And that means to us that Jesus is the light of the world today. That Jesus is the light that fills the darkness. That Jesus is the light that fills those dark corners of our hearts. And every week we're reminded of that because he came as the light of the world and that means everything to us individually. And then that fifth Sunday we see that the promise has been fulfilled in the coming of Christ as a deposit guaranteeing that we are part of God's beloved family and that one day he will come again and like the text in Zephaniah says he will gather us together as his beloved children and he will sing over us. This is a beautiful promise that we rejoice in today and it's a a promise that gives us hope. And this morning I asked for Kevin to read that from the NIV, the New International uh, Version of the Bible, because I felt like that was a, a, a translation that allows us to understand the, the gravity of, of what it means for us as God's children, as God's family. It's as if God is saying to us, come, come in, come in close, gather together children. I've got some good news for you. I've got something to tell you and I want you to hear this news. Sing, daughter Zion. Oh, rejoice, daughter Israel. Because we are the beloved children of God. Christmas is more than our culture makes it. It has more significance than filling the coffers of the stores around us or Amazon.com if that's your preferred way of shopping. It's mine, 
It's mine. I get a lot done on Amazon.com, and I could wear my pajamas while I'm shopping, by the way. Okay, that's a freebie. If you've never tried it, of course you've all tried it. We're here in 2016. So, um, But with that being said, uh, uh, it's more than simply consumerism. It's the fact that God allowed his son to be an offering, a sacrifice of worship, so that our praise could be heard by God and lived out this day of our lives. So that's my hope, is that today we understand the significance of that. And I want to ask you this question as we jump into our passage today. And the question is this, what song are you singing? What is the song of your heart? Not just what song do you sing vocally. Maybe you would say that you're not a good singer, and so you don't sing. I beg to differ. I would say you probably do sing in the shower. Uh, so that makes you a singer, um, Dave. Uh, no, not even in the shower. Oh my goodness. Well, you're singing a song. We're all singing a song, aren't we? And the songs that we're singing are the affections of our hearts. It's where our hearts are gravitated to. In fact, the songs that we sing is our worship. We worship what we behold. So you know the newly dating couple? They've been dating for a whole five minutes and they're calling one another babe right you've seen that before like five minutes into it really you're calling her babe i mean come on and then they make it facebook official right it's not official until it's facebook official and when it's facebook official that's when you know the little hearts are on the emojicon right those you could see those hearts they're love struck and they're already saying i love you five days into it seriously And there's something that has transpired in their hearts. There's something that has transpired in their minds. There's this look that she gives him and this look that he gives her that, wow, it's it's mushy, it's gushy. It's kind of gross, in all honesty, sometimes just at the beginning. (laughs) He's like, really? Like, um, spend 10 years with each other. Well... Uh, But at the same time, that's how we all got started, right? If if you've dated and gotten married and gotten engaged, there's this mushy-gushy stuff that remains in in our past. um, But one of the things that's evident in that relationship is that there's a song that they're singing. They're singing one another's praise. When the bride and the bridegroom stand before God on the altar, they're singing the praises of God, but like Song of Solomon, they're singing the praises of one another. Oh, my lover, oh, my bride, says the Song of Solomon. That singing is a singing that's a part of us. It's innate in us. It's made visible, whether it's with your voices or with the expressions of your life. We are singing of someone's praise. When you get your paycheck and it's Friday and you got money in the bank, what's the song that you're singing? What are you giving praise to? What are you adoring in those moments? Or maybe if you're like us, 10 years into marriage, going on 11, it's simply somebody gives you a free babysitter on Friday night and you've got a gift card to Outback, right? What, you know, it's Outback tonight, right? You might even get a blooming onion. So, what's the song that you are singing? We proclaim, we worship that which we behold. It's an important thing to think through. Where you spend your time, where you spend your money, where you spend your thoughts, where you spend your energy, what consumes you is a trail that leads you to that which you behold, that which you worship. And what we worship, we most naturally sing about. That's why there's so many Christmas songs. That's why the first song that we sing was written so long ago. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. We can't help but to sing a song. We were wired to sing a song. The question is, is not are we singing, because everybody sings, everybody worships the song. The question is, is what is the song that we're singing? What's the echoes of our mouths leading from the lives that we live? 
Are we worshiping and beholding God? And is it his song that rises to the top of all others? This is a news story from the very credible Babylon Bee. I don't know if you've heard or seen the Babylon Bee. If you have, then you will chuckle. Uh, From Georgeville, Ohio. Don't even know if that's a real place. It's a satire, by the way. Redeemer Reformed Church unintentionally executed a perfect mannequin challenge. A recent viral phenomenon in which participants attempt to remain completely still for the duration of the video... Sources confirm this on Thursday. While many mannequin challenge videos last for a few minutes or so, the saints at the Redeemer were able to last for a full hour and a half, completely frozen in place during their worship service Wednesday evening. Some church members held hymnals while others were simply sitting with furrowed brow, all stock still for the full length of the service. Since being uploaded to YouTube, the video has garnered over 30 million views, with many commentators declaring this attempt to be the best by far at the popular challenge of remaining as still as possible for a short period of time. It'll never be topped, one viewer said. This one wins the internet. According to church leadership, those, those present were not even aware that they were participating in the challenge. But they give all glory to God for their amazing accomplishment. Now, I read this to you in order to, in order to ask the question. Um, this sermon is not about our posture of worship. But I think it's important to ask the question. If God has done what the Bible has said he has done, shouldn't our lives express that? If God has done what the scriptures tell us he has done, should not our lives express that? We go to football games and we've got hands raised and we've got voices lifted high and we're cheering for our team. We go to a concert and could you imagine going to a concert and be told to stay still? If God has done what the Bible says he has done, which we do believe he has, then should not our lives be an expression of that worship? This question goes far beyond your posture in worship on Sunday morning. In fact, the question goes beyond that in asking, does your life reflect a wholehearted joy to beholding your Savior Jesus Christ? Do you worship Him with everything that you have? And and that's the question that this passage leaves for us today. And there's a command that's given in verse 14. He says, sing. It's not a little bit of sing. It's sing, daughter Zion. Sing, O Israel. Shout aloud. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem, with everything you have. Worship God. Sing to Him. Give your praises to Him. Adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him together. This is the cry of Advent. This is the cry of our awaiting. Our Savior has come. So rejoice. It's not a fairy tale. It's not something that has to be proven. In fact, it was signed, sealed, and delivered through Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. I want to give you a little context to the words that we see written here in Zephaniah. Zephaniah came before the prophet Daniel by about 30 or so years. Zephaniah was a prophet under uh, King Josiah. King Josiah was known as a reform king in Israel because he had to bring reformation to the idolatry that was taking place in the kings before him and the people that had led the nation astray into idol worship before him. And so Zephaniah was very passionate about the worship of God. Josiah was very passionate about the worship of God. In fact, when we read the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel was likely schooled or brought up or learned from the philosophy of King Josiah under the prophet Zephaniah. 
Zephaniah. So a little background into Daniel there makes his life really uh, amazing and astounding how God raised him up to withstand some of the challenges that he faced in Babylon. And in fact, what we see in God's providence is that Josiah and Zephaniah were preparing a remnant of Israel to faithfully praise our God. Which leads to us today faithfully praising our God. That's, that's pretty amazing. There when we look at the history of the old covenant that points us to the new. And so what, what Zephaniah was seeking to do was to turn people's hearts from the worship of these false gods to the worship of the one true God. And in order to do so, we see right here, verse 14, there is a command given. When, when you see a command, it's something that God is telling you to do. This is something that you got to do. This is an imperative. This is a command that I put upon you. And it is that you sing. Now, the question is, why would God have to tell his people to worship him? Why would God have to give this command? In fact, actually, it's probably the most commanded command we see in all of Scripture. Is that God says, worship me. It's a very interesting thing there. If you look into uh, Exodus 20, verse 3, the command is given in this way. The first command of the Ten Commandments, of which you know, ten ways to be perfect. Number one, you shall, not, you shall have no other gods before me. That's command number one, which out of the ten ways to be perfect, we realize one out of one, we're, we're not doing very good because Israel hasn't done very good. If you flip over one page, Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 2, Zephaniah gives his introductions. Hi, how are you doing? I'm Zephaniah, son of this guy, son of this guy, son of this guy. Nice to meet you. Verse 2, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Zephaniah is the prophet. I will utterly sweep everything away from the face of the earth. Verse 2, I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal. That is an idol that was worshipped in that time, Baal. And the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests. Those who bow down on the roofs and host, to the hosts of the heavens. Those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. Those who have turned back from following the Lord. Who do not seek the Lord or inquire of Him. So those passages, this passage that's given tells us that it is a sin to not follow the commands of God. And the command of God here is given, sing, worship God. That's the covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. And just listen to me. Trust me. I love you. Trust me. And what did God people do? They walked in rebellion You see here in Zephaniah, they gave their hearts to Baal and Milcom. And in fact, even if they didn't, he says that those who have turned their back from following the Lord, those who do not seek the Lord or inquire of Him. You know, our, our hearts have been created, our lives have been created so that we would be intimately connected to God. That's the created purpose of mankind is this intimate connection that leads to our heart's songs being filled with his praise and worship and adoration. But in reality, we're far from that. Like the people of Israel in Zephaniah, like the people of Israel in Daniel, like the people of Israel in Malachi, like the people of God in the church through the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians and Philippians and Galatians and Romans like the church in Revelation, God is giving us his word to bring us back, to bring us back, to bring us back. He's saying that judgment is upon those who don't follow me and have turned their back on me, but God's grace is on those who return. And today, for you and me, I think, 
whether we've been walking with God for a long time or whether we've had a momentary lapse in judgment or we've had a lifetime of a momentary lapse in judgment. The, the grace of God remains true for us today and steadfast where he says, come back to me. Zephaniah chapter 3 tells us that God is calling us to sing. Well, how could we sing unless the punishment has been paid for our sins? Because you see that the punishment is being cut off from God. It echoes Genesis chapter 6 where God is so frustrated with humanity. He sees them as so wicked, so vile. No one is righteous. No, not one. Why don't I destroy the whole lot of them? But God creates for himself a remnant of people who will remain steadfast and praise him. And he sends the flood to crush the wicked under his judgment. And do you know where the righteous go? The righteous go in the ark and they float above the waters of God's judgment. And do you know that Noah and his family weren't as good as we think they are from our children's Bible book stories? No, Noah and his family were jacked up sinners in need of a Savior just like me and you. But what made Noah and his family rise in that ark above the floodwaters and not be crushed or destroyed was that they had put their hope in a Messiah that would come who would wipe away those judgments. The command is to sing. The command is to worship. Jesus says it this way in the positive. He says, here's what it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And with all your strength, love God with everything that you have. This is the created purpose of mankind. And this is the work that God is doing right now so that that we would be true lovers of him. Even in our faults, even in our frailties, even in our wickedness. When we read the Bible, a lot of people think that the Bible is, is just bad news. And this is why so many people are afraid of the Bible, or this is why so many people reject the Bible, because they read it, and like a mirror, it shines back on them who they really are. And it's really scary if you read the Bible outside of the lens of the cross, because it just freaks you out. It causes you to fear. Well, here a little bit later in the passage, you see that Zephaniah says that you don't have to fear, because there's a mighty warrior who saves mighty warrior who saves you from the wrath of God. And it was God Himself, the one who has planned judgment for the unrighteous, that has also planned grace for those who would be redeemed by His righteousness. In fact, the reason why the Bible tells us that we are a, a desperate and needy and wicked and bad people apart from Him is to cause us to look to His grace and see how amazing it is. In fact, if we didn't know how much we needed a Savior, if we didn't know how bad we really were, how would we ever cry out for a God who can save us? Why? Because we would think that we could do it in our own strength. We would think that we would just naturally sing these songs. But we don't. We don't naturally sing the songs of worship to God. In fact, our hearts are corrupted and given to lesser things. And this is why the command is given. You shall have no other gods before me. This is what sin is. If you want to boil down sin to a a very simplistic definition, definition, it is idolatry. And idolatry is putting something or someone else before God. It means that you're singing another song. That's what sin is. Singing a different song from the one of the love of God. We worship that which we behold. Do you behold God? The command is given so that we would know that God has created us for the purpose of beholding Him. The command is given so that we would know that God created us with the purpose to behold Him so that there would be no question in our mind what our created purpose is, but to live for God. 
and to make him known. We worship what we behold. And so we have here what this could look like. There's an author and pastor, his name is Paul David Tripp. He says, you and I were created to love God. We were hardwired to live in an intimate relationship with the Creator that would shape every motive, every desire, every choice, every word, every action. If at any moment you asked me what I was doing, I could say to you, because I love God. Why are you doing what you're doing? Well, it's because I love God. Why do you speak to your spouse in the way you do? Because I love God. Why do you treat your children the way you do? Because I love God. Why do you spend your money the way you do? Well, it's because I love God. Why do you schedule your life the way you do? It's because I love God. That's the created purpose. If we were asked that question any day, this is the answer that should flow from our lips. Now, we know what we should say, but our lives don't match up with it, right? We know what we should say, but our lives don't match up with it. And that's what shows us that we, like Zephaniah, um, the people of Israel that Zephaniah is prophesying to, have turned our back from following the Lord. We don't seek. We don't inquire of Him. Because that which we know in our head doesn't match up with our hearts and isn't expressed with our lives. And that's today why we're here and we call out to God to say, God, help me. Help me. You've tried to do it. You've tried time and time again. You know those sins that you feel like just keep on repeating themselves in your life and you think, man, why do I keep on tripping up on this sin? Why? And you feel that you've dishonored God and you know you've dishonored God. And then you put this checkbox list to make you stay away from that sin in the future and it lasts for a little while and then again you find yourself stumbling and falling on the ground. Now, I don't want to beat you up for that because I'm expressing to you my own faults and frailties and failures. But what I do want you to do is what I have to do is cry out to God for help. We can't fulfill this command unless God is the one who helps us. Matt Chandler says, this is what it means to surrender. To surrender your life to Christ is an act of humility. To become a Christian is to say, I can't fix what's wrong with me. So maybe you've you've tripped and stumbled over that sin or a myriad of sin. Or you, you just got the book on sins, man. I own it all. Here's what it means to become a Christian. Not that you clean yourself up and make yourself better. In fact, if that was Advent, we would all be done for. We rejoice at Advent because there's one who came to help us where we couldn't be helped by ourselves. It's way different than self-help. If it was self-help, how could self help self out of the place itself got itself into in the first place? It is not self-help. It is Christ's reliance. God wants you and me and us and our church family to be a dependent people upon God, gathering and relying upon Him and singing of His praise. There's a cause. The reason why God gives us a command to sing, the reason why we will be able to sing is the reason that God gives us and enables us to. It's the motivation for our singing. Look at with me at verse 15. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. So we read Zephaniah chapter 1 verses 2 through 6. And we see the judgments of God that are against us. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 14 through 20. We see that those judgments have been wiped away. Right? They don't stand against God's people. Those judgments have been wiped away as sure as God is real and true, is as sure as God has wiped away his judgments against you, his wrath against you, his punishment against you. He has cleared away your enemies 
the King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. He's present. He's with you. You shall never fear evil again. My son is seven years old, and, and one of the things that he's struggling with is going to bed. He's in a room by himself. The girls are together in the room, and, and one of the things that we find repetitively with my son is that he's, he's afraid because he's alone in his room, and he fears. And, you know, when, when, when we are left to ourselves in a life of sin, there's much to be fearful about. Even in this world, there's much that could do damage against us, even as God's children. But God's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, because I've actually taken away that which could most hurt you. And that's my wrath and my judgment. I've taken that away. So you don't have to fear evil. You don't have to be fear being persecuted for singing the songs of praises to God, even if it costs you everything. Why? Because Jesus Christ laid his life down so that we could sing, so that we can make him known and realize that our lives are of little value because we have eternity. And eternal life is the life that we're after because it's a life that's driven to worship of God. He has taken his punishment He has taken away the punishment of our sin. And now he sings over us. He rejoices over us. He has a glad and sincere heart towards us. God doesn't look at us like, oh my goodness. Are you serious? Ryan, that guy, he's coming to heaven forever. I have to spend eternity with Ryan. Now, some of you might think that, oh boy, that's going to be. But God says, no, I sing over you. I want you in my presence. I want you in my midst. I sing over you with gladness. This is so hard for some of us because we think we're so bad. We're so unworthy. But God now says, no, I've taken your badness away. I've taken your unworthiness away. I've given you my righteousness and you are desirable to me. I want you in my presence forever. And God sings over his children. There's a beautiful promise here that we just sang in the, in the song, Joy to the World. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found, God sings over those whom he's taken the curse away from. And he rejoices over us. No matter what we've done, no matter what we didn't do, He has taken His curse away from us in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why verse 17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He fights for you. He fights for your salvation. He fights for your sanctification. Just like we talked last week, He is the refining fire, purifying you, making you holy in His sight. He continually works from you. God's not done with you after salvation, but we can rejoice when we go through trials or struggles of many kinds because God is refining us. He is purifying us. He is causing that song that we sing to be more genuine, to be more authentic, to be more reliant upon Him. We're not singing the songs of self anymore. We're singing the songs of the saints, the song of King Jesus. He rejoices over us with singing. John Piper says we must banish from our minds forever any thought that God admits us begrudgingly into his kingdom. As though Christ found a loophole into his kingdom. As through, as through Christ God found a loophole into his kingdom. Did some fancy plea bargaining and squeaked us by the judge. No way. God himself, the judge, put Christ forward as our substitutionary sacrifice. And when we trust him, God welcomes us with bells on. He puts a ring on our finger. He kills the fatted calf and throws a party. Shouts a shout that shakes the ends of creation and leads in the festal dance. 
You know, the singing that God sings over us is like that prodigal father waiting for that prodigal son to come home. And he's sitting on his porch every day. And he waits his son and he doesn't see him. And the next day he sits on his porch and he waits his son and he doesn't see him. And he tries to hear word of his, his son would come home and his son hasn't come home. And that son is in the pigsty looking at what the pigs are eating and saying, oh, that looks good. And he says, what am I doing? What am I doing? If I go and I serve as a servant in my father's household, I'll eat like a king. I'll eat so much better than this. And then that, that realization of where he has gone has led him so far astray from God. He says, you know what? I'm so far away from the Father. He says, I'm just going to go to my dad and ask my dad to make me a servant. You don't have to call me son anymore. Just, just, just put, a, put a cloth around my arm and let me wait your tables. And then that son comes down the road and the dad sees the son And he picks up his robe that touches the ground and he runs after his son and he embraces his son with open arms and the speech that the son had memorized in order to get the father to allow him to be a servant in the household. He says, stop it. You're my son. Here's the ring of our family. Here's my robe declaring your righteousness. And let's sacrifice the calf. And let's celebrate our great God and King because he brings the sinners home. The Bible says that God rejoices with one sinner repenting more than a hundred righteous. When one sinner comes to repentance, God sings and all the angels and all heaven rejoice with him. This is why when someone comes to Christ here at Crosspoint, it's a big deal. Because we sing. Because God has made us whole. He has made us new. He's added to our family. And we open our arms to sinners because we're sinners. But I tell you, friends, we don't stop there. We point them to the Savior. The one who has given his life that they would be redeemed. He puts a new song in our mouth. Maybe today you you don't see God singing over you. And I'll give you three possible reasons why. But I also want you to see with me that those aren't three things that are valid anymore. Number one, I'm damaged goods. How could God sing over me? He doesn't know how bad I've been. He doesn't know some of the things that I've done. I have, I have given my heart to other things. In fact, this is why I've been running for God for so long is because I can't possibly love by him. I am unlovable. I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy of his love. In fact, I'm full of shame. But God says he's taken his judgments away from you. It says here in Zephaniah that he's taken your shame And turned it into praise. If the Apostle Paul, the persecutor of Christians, can be welcomed into the family of God, the terrorist against the Christian faith can be converted to worship God. Can you say that I can't worship God? Can you say that I'm damaged goods? Can you say that God's arm cannot save me because I'm too far? That God's arm isn't powerful enough to be the mighty warrior that saves you? It's a lie. You're not damaged goods. You have been redeemed. You've been made whole. You are worthy because he is worthy. He's given you the worthiness of Christ. Verse 17 says he will not rebuke you. What that means is he won't pull up this laundry list of your sins and hold it over you. But in Christ it's nailed to the cross. You're not damaged goods. You've been reconciled, redeemed, and made whole. Number two, I have enemies and obstacles. God would never sing over me. There's too many things in in my way from being able to fully worship him. There's obstacles and enemies in my way. God says that no enemy stands in your way. In fact, he takes those who oppress you and they will come under his judgment. 
the obstacles, the circumstances that you might see in your way from becoming a hindrance to worship God. God is actually put in your place, put in your life so that you would be a better worshiper through them. That he would refine you like the refiner's fires that we talked about last week through the book of Malachi. That he is using those things to burn off the impurities, to to bring about a righteousness and sanctification and holiness that only he could bring. Hardship upon hardship cannot separate you from the love of God, cannot separate you from a God who sings over you. And maybe finally you feel that God is distant. He's far from you. God's far from me. But right here it says that God is in our midst. In fact, the God who created the world and sustains it by His very Word is the God who came down, Emmanuel Christ, with us and dwelt among us. He casts out your enemies. He delivers you from your oppressors. He is overwhelming you right now with a sense of His Holy Spirit, pouring upon you His love. God is not distant. He's right here. He's in our midst. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit confirms God's love for us in Christ Jesus. In fact, we all gather here at the church today because God is the one who brought us here to tell us right now, I sing over you and I'm not far from you, no matter how bad your week might have been. This is a great truth. He rejoices over you. So we have the command to worship, to behold. We have the cause because God has enabled us through taking away the punishment of our our sin through Jesus Christ. So we can behold God because Jesus Christ was our sin-saving substitute. He was our sacrifice. And now there's a call. The call is that we proclaim joy. It's a call to sing and proclaim that God has made a way. Verse 20, at that time I will gather you. At that time I will bring you home. I will give honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes. The words of Zephaniah here echo the words that God did for Job. Remember Job lost everything. Remember, Job had, it seemed like, everything. And Satan goes to God and says, of course he's going to worship you. He's got everything. Why wouldn't he worship you? The only reason why he worships you is because you've given him all this stuff. God says, go ahead and take it away. And at the end of the day, we see that Job was indeed a sinner. But we also see that God saved him by his grace. And God restored all of his fortunes. So that his mouth would praise and rejoice God the Father. God restores the fortunes of his people. The fortunes of God's people is that we would be restored to the created purpose of our worship. And that's to proclaim God and to make him known. That's why we're here on this earth. That's why God hasn't just zapped us and taken us off to heaven for our conversion. Because God continues to refine us as a testimony of his love for us. And his love for the world. That's why 2 Peter 3.9 says, Not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. We're here to proclaim God's name. God will give you favor in that. It says that God will lift you up. And it doesn't really look like the way we think it is. It's not like we're winning the lottery or, or getting these desires of our heart in an outlandish, sinful way. But it's that God gives us a platform, no matter how hard or how beautiful it might seem to be, to proclaim Him, to declare His praise. And the the things that God is doing in us now is building in us a testimony so that more people would be drawn to behold God, to worship God. This is why we're here today. This is why we're here tomorrow. To love God and to make Him known. Because as we sing this song, it will draw a chorus that's even louder because God will add to that chorus of praise those who are lost and far from God. Just like you were. Just like I was. 
I know your stories. I know how far you are from God. You know my story. I've been far from God. But God brought us near. And God is bringing so many more near to him. Those who fear, who feel like they're not good enough. Who feel that God is distant or God is far away. Those who fear, feel like there's too many enemies or obstacles in their way. God is telling us, no, go and sing of them a different song. Go and sing of them the song of the redeemed and say, God is in our midst and he sings over you. God sings over us here today. Psalm 43. He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. So that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God so that many will be drawn to fear God and put their trust in Him. I want to leave you with this application. I asked you in the beginning, what song are you singing? I want to ask you that question again. Remember, we worship what we behold. Here's how we apply this. One is to recognize what is the song that you're singing? Who is the God that you worship? What at the end of the day is the voice that comes from your mouth and where does it pledge allegiance to? Recognize what that is. And if it's not God, repent. Repent. Cry out to Jesus for His grace and forgiveness. Cry out to Him to fill you. Cry out to God and say, God, right now, put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to you. And realize that God will not let that prayer go unanswered because he has promised it in Jesus. He will give you the grace to repent and to live life differently. And to walk in obedience to this command to sing of the Savior. And then finally, we rejoice. We rejoice. Because God has allowed for our repentance and our change. Because God has allowed for us to sing a new song. We are acceptable in His sight. And He sings over us. Think about a young man named Dominic. He's got spina bifida. He worships at Cross Point Lake Nona. And Dominic would sit right in the front row. Right over here. And... He would wheel in on his wheelchair and his family was around him. And, 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 and Dominic would be one of the most vividly expressive worshipers you would ever meet. But if you knew of a guy that had reasons not to worship according to this world, it was Dominic. He could have complained all the time that he had spina bifida, he was not able to do this or not able to do that. He never heard those complaints come from Dominic. In fact, Dominic came to Christ at Cross Point, and, and it was his, his disciple, his, his mentor who discipled him, Emmanuel, who, who baptized him. And it was a beautiful picture of, of Dominic, who's very thin. As Emmanuel went into the baptistry with him, a big African-American man went into the baptistry with Dominic and, and held him up and, and even covered his nose, and he dipped Dominic's head in the baptistry and he pulled him up and, and, and Dominic's face lit up. He was so overjoyed that God had saved him. And now the whole world could see. He did a fist pump in the air. He's like, yes, this is good. And all the church just rejoiced, just rejoiced. And right now, this morning, Dominic's sitting in the same place, doing the same thing, worshiping his great God and King. Not complaining, rejoicing, celebrating. Listen, can we celebrate with this reality that God has saved us? That He has taken away the punishment of our sin and He is worthy of our worship? And Jesus Christ has made a way where otherwise there would be no way. When we take communion, we're reminded of that. And again, I say this is not simply of our outward expressions. It's not really about what you do right now. It's about what you do with the rest of your life. Do you live life proclaiming 
that God satisfies you above all else? Do you worship what you behold? Stand. Let's pray. God, I thank you for everything that you've given us here today. The love that we have in Christ Jesus. The mercy that abounds. The grace that has appeared. God, that maybe we've been aware of our sin today, but only so that we could see your grace. And when we take communion, we, we, we take the bread representing your broken body and we dip it into the cup representing your shed blood we realize that it's the song of King Jesus that we're singing it's our hope in him we rejoice Lord we recognize that we have walked far from you we all like sheep have gone astray each of us have turned to our own way we also Repent, God, because your word to us brings us near. Your word to us brings us hope. Your word to us brings us healing. And you made a way for us to behold you, to worship you, to sing a new song. So we rejoice. We rejoice. And it's not the external circumstances that enable that rejoicing, but the internal renewal of the heart that you've allowed our head and our heart to join and our bodies and our lives to express that you, Lord, are king above all. And we love you with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. If you believe in Jesus as your forgiver, your leader and Lord, communion is a table for you. Come and join us. Today you're considering what it means to be a Christ follower. You might have questions about what that means. Come see us at the back, get connected table, and we would love to share with you more of that. Celebrate the songs of the redeemed, the work of Jesus Christ for your forgiveness.